Okay. Hello, dear listener. Thank you for downloading and listening to the Spooky Doings podcast. My name is Rick Guzman. I'm an improv comedian from New York who's still not improvising because we're in the middle of a plague. Don't say the end. It's the middle. But that's all right. We are joined today by the wonderful tech sorceress behind the buttons, the beeps, and the boobs. We call her Chelsea Bennington. Hello, Chelsea. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm just booping some buttons, like you said, beeps, all that stuff. And you're making it all happen, because without you, I'd have to figure it out, and that would take longer. That would, that would just annoy me, so but, it's better for me to do it. <laughs> I appreciate that. You know I do. Where would I be without you? But today, uh, we're, get, we're getting topical, and joining us in, the, in this topical, old-school combination of a wonderful film is comedian and entertainer Gregory Hall. Hello, Greg. Hey, what's going on, brother? How you doing? I'm doing all right. Thank you for joining us today. How are you holding up in the time of Corona? You know what? I haven't flipped out and have a psychotic episode yet, so I'm good. I'm good. That's all we can hope for. I love that standard. I'm like, you know what? No breakdowns yet. That's the thing people got to understand. See, weed is the unsung hero of 2020. Very much so. Weed (laughs) is important. We need more weed. Less me in this motherfucker. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and that that's as simple a message as we can convey. Because if if the fucking administration and the authority and everyone in charge is using cruelty as their primary tool, the most anti-establishment thing you can do right now is be kind. That's that's fucking, that's punk rock. That's, that's something we need a lot more of. I know, like, you could, I could just imagine now, like, you holding the door for, like, an old person and, like, a chick going, like, oh, that is badass. Like, that guy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I try. I try. But this is uh, uh, our topic today, as you can see from the download is the 1995 movie Tales from the Hood, which I know I love, and I know, Greg, you love, because we've talked about this a bit. And strangely enough, uh, with what's going on in America and spreading worldwide in, a, in, a, in an array of kindness and, and solidarity and, and we coming together is strangely appropriate uh, to, to talk about Tales from the Hood. So, uh, when was your first time seeing this film, Greg? Dude, I saw first. Okay, first, I just want to say, and I actually thought about this. I probably go as far as to say that Tales from the Hood is probably my favorite horror film of all time. It's it's grossly underrated. It's I because I, I think it's the one horror film I probably watch I remember when I first saw it. I actually saw it in the theaters when it came out. I had it been like. I want to say 12, I'm like showing my age right now, but like 12. And I remember when I saw the trailer for it. And I think it was when I saw, um, it was either Friday or like Bad Boy or something, the first one. And I saw the trailer for it and I got like really hyped about it because- Probably, 
Probably Friday. Bad Boys, if I recall correctly, because I'm showing my age because I was working in the video store at this time. Bad Boys came out a little bit before both. And Friday and, and really? Tales from the Hood. Yeah, little bit, little bit. I thought it was the same year. Friday and Tales from the Hood came out a little bit closer theatrically. So, okay. we, so you probably see the preview for for Tales from the Hood during Friday. It was probably Friday. It was probably Friday. It was one of those it was one of those films, but um I remember seeing the trailer and like being like hype about it because you know during that time wasn't too many like black horror films at that time. If Not any at all. You know, the only one that I could think of before I saw Tales from the Hood was like Blackula and Scream Blackula Scream. Um so I was hype about it, you know what I'm saying? And I saw it and it was just it's a movie of it like that's ahead of its time, you know, very much of the because here's the thing, you know, when it comes to, you know, black people in horror films, a lot of our horror films have a social commentary under it. You know what I mean? Because like we can't be like okay, we can't be any straight up horror film because that's why it was always crazy to me growing up. And you watch a horror film, like a slasher film or something, like a Friday the 13th or like a Halloween or something. And like the black guy or the black girl gets it first. And it's just like, it's bullshit because it's like in real life, our perception of fear is way different than white people. If I hear rustling in the bushes, I'm not going to investigate. Fuck that. So it's like, you can't, it's hard to do a straight up horror film with an all black cast. This is not going to happen because it's going to be so unrealistic. But we deal with so much horror on a daily basis being in this world, in this country that a lot of horror films would have the social commentary. And the way Tales from the Crypt, not Tales from the Crypt, Tales from the Hood did it, it did it in such a way that it was, it was kind of genius. One, it was an anthology. And if you know, I know, doing a horror anthology and also having to do a wraparound story within that, within that story is not an easy thing. We've seen a lot of great ones in the past from Tales from the Dark Side to you know, Tales from the Crypt and all that to some really, really terrible ones. And some ones that are terrible, but they hold true to our hearts for nostalgic purposes. I'm, talking, I'm looking at you, Creepshow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but let's be honest, Creepshow, listen, I love Creepshow. Every, I, you know, the, the Creepshow theme for the first one is a classic, but let's keep it 100. Creepshow was trash far as on the standard of horror films like that. Even the series that they got on Shudder now, it's for it's for nostalgia horror junkies because even that show I'm like this is not this 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 kind this type of horror did not age well. Um, <laughs> it, an, an anthology is tricky because a lot of the times like it, I think Creep Show is like it, it it's very eighties but something like Trick or Treat and Tales from the Hood it's better when you got one director if you got like a lot of directors each directing a segment like a VHS or something, you got standouts that are great and other shit that just falls apart. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Chelsea, and what about you? When was the first time you saw it? The first time I saw Tales from the Hood was in college. Uh, me and some friends watched it and that was only like 2010, 2011. So it was still fairly, you know, recent. And then I revisited it for the second time right after watching Har Noir, the documentary on Shudder, because there were so many things that just did not um, resonate with me the way they did when I first watched it and hearing the discussion behind it on Har Noir and just how it 
has remained relevant since it was made. Like there's just nothing has really changed, which, you know, is a quite a sobering and heartbreaking fact. Um, so watching it again after horror noir, I, I loved it even more because I really liked it when I first watched it. It, it was, it was not one that, um, I watched over and over again, but I loved seeing, seeing it in a new light after horror noir. And that was like, what, two years ago, a year ago? Yeah, noir? just about, just about. Yeah. yeah. I saw it, it had to have been, uh, the latest 96 when it came out in the video store, just cause didn't see it in theater, threw in the big clunky VHS, watched it and my mind was blown. Cause like you said, Greg, if, if if black folk are in horror movies, a lot of the time, it ain't going to work out for them. And then no, even when they, when they realize, like, okay, we can't always get them first. Like that, that one dude in, in Jason Takes Manhattan, he's going to box Jason. He's almost going to make it to the end and then get his head punched the fuck off. He literally so, so, got his block knocked off. Yeah. So I there, saw that in the theaters, too. There's, a, there's a few, like, you know, Dawn of the Dead and... and, mm-hmm. and uh, people under the stairs where you've got black people as the focus and you're trying to to make your commentary about society but tales from yeah. the hood was the first like one it was like, that was in your fucking face about yeah, it was that. like in your face like it was just blatant but it was so it was directed and written so well mm-hmm. that's why it broke my heart when i saw the sequel that the abomination that's on Netflix, it would made it worse for that one. It wasn't see, okay, I would actually give that a little bit more leeway if the original director and producers were not attached to it. I'd be like, okay, you know what, maybe somebody was a fan, this was whatever. No, the original people was attached to it. So there was no excuse for that abomination. I was like, what the fuck? Like this, because it's still under 40 acres in a mule. So I'm like, this had to been like a tax write-off for Spike Lee or some the fun black clansman or some shit. Because this is horrible. Like, this is terrible. Um, but we ain't going to get into that. We're going to talk about the original. Um, I, ha- I haven't watched the sequel because of you. But you know, right from the well, beginning. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this. Yes. Watch the first story if you want a really good laugh. <laughs> It's so bad that you gotta <laughs> laugh at it. Like the payoff, the payoff to the ending of the second Tales in the Hood in the first story. Holy shit! It, it, it's so funny, but you can't. After that, it's like I can't even finish this now. I already know where this road is leading. I don't like it. I, I'm I don't, going back. I don't want to go down that road because because I, I know I'm gonna watch the whole thing and be disappointed, and I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen to you. I really especially deserve that. Right. Especially with the first one being so wonderful with that framing uh, scenes with Clarence Williams the third and and these young thugs coming in to get the shit out of the funeral well, home. Well see that's another thing in that movie like created like so many like just so it has so many like sayings in it from ah the shits. Mm-hmm. You know, and oh, okay. So, I will say this about the second tale of the hood. The only good thing about that is Keith David. Keith David is playing the same character as Clarence Williams the third, but he's really good in that film. And I, what makes him good in that one is that he brought some different to the table. Clarence Williams the third played him to be very crazy, kooky, creepy, sweaty. Yeah, Keith David plagues him sinister 
like he really plays him like the devil, like just this sinister snake, you know, type character. And with his voice, you know, he didn't have that deep like voice. That's the only good thing about it. But Clarence Williams the third, I mean, he made that film like this. Let me tell you something. People talk about Candyman. I'm still shook at that nigga. Fuck that. I'm still scared. <laughs> that nigga had me shook. Okay. Like, <laughs> like, like this nigga. Crazy. You're not wrong. You're not like, wrong. Like, you look at that hard, like the beginning of the film when you see like Sims funeral home. You you can't tell you can't tell me if that home really existed. You will walk down that street from school. Hell no. <laughs> I'm like I'm taking a long way home. I'm not fucking with that funeral home. I ain't never seen no. I've been in dozens of funeral homes for funerals, and I ain't never seen no funeral home that looked that goddamn creepy. <laughs> <laughs> but the pipe organ, there's something about that that I like. But anyway, oh, that pipe organ, that that pipe organ scene was just genius. It was just like it, it sets the tone of the, of the film. But it, and and he gets into it, and he's you're you're wondering, okay, these guys are here for the shit, and he's going to tell them stories about these dead people, and from mm-hmm. there we get into the first one about the corrupt cop. And I just rewatched it this week, and maybe I've noticed it before, maybe I haven't. The main corrupt cop, played by uh, Wings Hauser, his name mm-hmm. is Strong. Um, and I'm like, oh, that, that's a reference to Strom Thurmond, who was a racist motherfucking senator from South Carolina. Wow. Right there, that'll fly over the head, my head definitely in my 96, the first time I saw it. And, you know, they, they come up on this activist who's trying to get drug dealing corrupt cops out of their city. And so what do they do? Of course they kill him. And his name is Martin Morehouse, like Morehouse College. And I'm like, there's, there's more depth to this. And that's why it still resonates now, especially now when we're seeing police get way out of pocket, mm-hmm. know they're being recorded and not get that means that they know they're being recorded that's them on their best behavior because they know there's no consequences it's right. all the the protests i'm not going to say riots that's a different party entirely the mm-hmm. pro, the black lives matter protests right now are a direct result of we they know what they're doing they know there's no consequences and that's why there's very little difference from that segment from 1995 and right fucking now, except unfortunately, dead folk aren't coming back to get revenge. I know you wish, like, ah, I wish they would come back and kill them, but it's you're right. It's 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 true. Like it, nothing has changed. And what's so crazy is that in that first in the first story, I think it's called uh, was it Road Cop Revelation or something like that. Yeah, it's uh, called, uh, it's called um, yeah Road Cop Revelation. Real cop revelation. I know my shit. Um, You're on it. I'm on it. Uh, it's crazy because you know they, like for example, you you know that Martin Morehouse, he's an activist, but he's also a preacher and he's very vocal about getting the dirty cops off the streets. And then like they stop him. They even tell him like you know we know that you're talking shit about us and all this good stuff. So obviously that was a planned hit, and it's it's so crazy how we see that and we see so many unarmed young black people being killed 
by the hands of the police, and then you find out some of them were activists. I mean, you look at Sandra Bland, you know what I mean? It's very, you know, even though they want to say she committed suicide, look at his face. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, it's crazy how nothing has changed, you know, and I think something like Tales from the Hood is a way for us as artists to kind of say, okay, I'm going to tell my story. I'm going to use this vehicle called horror to tell this social justice story, but to also like filter in my pain and say, you know what, maybe I cannot, we cannot get some sort of, um, what's that word I'm looking for? Um, conviction or whatever in real life, but maybe in my story, the cops could get their comeuppance. Mm-hmm. And I, that's why I like that story. The only change between 95 and now is that everybody's got a camera in their pocket and it should be yep. making a difference. And Yeah, that's quite literally the only change. Yeah. Hopefully now with the repeal of 50A, we can actually do some shit. Cause just- well, well, listen, here's the thing. Like I said this before, I think I said this in a post. Police officers, people get upset when they go, well, that's not a good idea to abolish the police department. I said, okay, first of all, that statement right there just showed me that you're stupid because they're saying like, hey, abolish the police and it's going to be fucking anarchy and it's going to be like the purge and all this stuff. No, I would have have, we would have to have a plan to be like, okay, uh, how are we going to protect citizens correctly and serve the citizens as the police are supposed to be protect the serve, which they don't. We know that. You know what I mean? And if you know the history of police officers, you would want them to be abolished. Okay, first and foremost, like I, I said this in a post, police officers are nothing but slave overseers. Okay? During slavery, on a plantation, you had the slave owner who lived in a big house, ran everything, and then he had he had overseers. If you've seen Django Unchained, you know what overseers are. Yeah. They kept kept the slaves in line. That's what police officers are. They're, they're slave overseers, okay? That's how they That's how they came out of the South, okay? Cause they, and also how the KKK came out of it because they had to keep Black folks alive. So that's what they did. And now, like I said, they trade, like Malcolm X said it best, they traded in sheets for badges. They traded in bloodhounds for canines. They traded um, shotguns and, and, nooses for, and nooses for guns. And they hide behind their badge. And if you think things have changed, back during segregation in the South, black people were scared. I mean, you can be sleeping in your bed and the KKK come kick down your door and now you're being lynched. The same thing, except that they're kicking down doors and shooting innocent, unarmed Sleeping women. Sleeping women, Deanna Taylor. So nothing has changed. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it should be abolished and it's just, crazy how each story in Sales in the Hood connects and it connects so well. That's why I said it was so well written. Like just the way how every story just connected and how the wraparound story, it just all connects from every issue that's have that's going on, that was going on and, and still going on in the black community. It's you know what I mean? Before we, we get to the next story, I just want to add uh, you know, your perspective from your life experience about I, I see things just a little bit differently because I'm not you I was raised Catholic. So as I see cops protecting each other with secrecy and, and moving cops around, I don't see a lot of difference between that and the way that the Roman Catholic Church protected predatory priests 
to keep their oh. bottom line. You mean protects, present tense. Protects, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> protected and continues yes. to protect. I, know. Yes. I, was, I was being snarky, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, I wouldn't have you here if you weren't snarky. <laughs> so so that, that's something that keeps ringing in my head just from my life experience. I'm like, how the fuck is that different? And if you're going to condemn one, you got to condemn both. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know what? And it's so funny because it's that whole like bullshit. Well, this is a brotherhood and we have to protect one another to such bullshit. I'm, That's yeah. also similar to the mafia, in my opinion. <laughs> Dude, it's in comedy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. That's another that's another subject for another talk for another day. But it yeah, I didn't prepare on. for that one today. <laughs> that, that's a that's a different I mean, even in comedy, but that's another discussion for another day. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. yeah. Which brings was, us to our second story. Yes. About that one was my favorite. Oh what, yes. The, yeah. Walter, yeah. That's the first time I ever saw David Allen Greer like what I consider to be like, I, I'd never seen him act. I've seen him be funny on yeah. Living Color and it made me laugh my ass off throughout. And he's there, he's goofy, he's doing men on film, he's doing that blues musician that I love, like wrote a song about it, like to hear it, hear it go. <laughs> and in this, he's mean, he's fucking surly, it scared the shit. Um, no, I, I had the same experience. Sorry, not to not to cut you off, Greg. Um, go ahead. I, I'll say that that nigga was trying to get an Oscar that year. He was trying to show you he can. He was like, well, I gotta whoop, I gotta whoop a woman's ass to get that guy this palm strike right to the face. But here's the yeah. thing, though. But here's the thing. Like as a kid, it kind of fucked me up because mm -hmm. it's like I just knew him as David Allegria from A Living Color. And when you're just known for comedy, as you know, when you do drama, it, it kind of throws some people off because people know you from comedy, so they're always looking for the joke. So I was like looking for the joke and it was no joke. But you know, this is before anybody knew that. A lot of people didn't know that David Allegria was, he didn't even start in comedy. He was an actor. He was mm -hmm. a stage you know, the soldiers play with Denzel back yeah, in the day. Yeah, he was. He started out as like a thespian, serious actor, and he he is so happy he stumbled into comedy. But um, his performance in there was it, like I hated that dude. Like, harrowing. <laughs> like my experience with it, I knew him from you know watching like reruns of In Living Color on TV. But I also, and this is showing that yeah that I'm. 28 but I also um very much resonate or resonate him with uh Jumanji <laughs> because he's the cop in Jumanji Fair. and he keeps getting like shit thrown at him like his car gets eaten like all this stuff and he's just so funny he's such a great slapstick character in that and I think it was that's been so ingrained in my head him as the cop in Jumanji than when I first watched Tales from the Hood and the boys do get bruised started. And um, I was the same way where I was almost looking for the joke. I was like, is this one going to be funny? Uh, what is funny about the um, the second story is that well, it wasn't, okay, it wasn't funny, but it was kind of funny to me. It was, I don't know, I'm jumping, but in this, the end scene when the teacher, who was actually the director of the film, mm -hmm. yeah, um, kind of. 
Rusty comes Rusty comes comes in and he comes to you think, okay, he's gonna come back and save the day. He gets his ass handed to him by Stephen <laughs> I was like, dude, that was a waste. That was a waste. I was just like, what the hell? And if you really watch like that, if you go back and watch that scene, mm-hmm. even the way David Allen Greer is throwing a punch, you're like, okay, come on, really? You couldn't beat this guy up, pal. <laughs> Just, yeah, like I said, just the palm strike to Sissy, played by Paula J. Parker, you know, remembering her from Friday. It's like, that's some fucking serious, violent shit. And just like, oh, it, I was I was actually watching an interview with her. She was filming Friday and that movie at the exact same time. Oh, shit. <laughs> So they said she, so she said she would literally be in like sissy mode and then she would leave and go on put the on set those long ass braids, put on the long the ass braids. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Your little sister, crazy. baby cousin, crazy is a goddamn liar. <laughs> Why she got another nigga in the bed? That's hilarious. <laughs> well, if we're going like say like just the third story when we yes. talk about that. I'm excited about that because I have a very interesting personal story about the third story. So I actually have some, so I have have actually a special connection to that story. Do you now? Well, you can't just set that up and then expect us to like, you know, start this conversation just for like a brief setup. There's a racist politician named Duke who's a former Klan's member. (laughs) Okay. Trying. <laughs> well, for the time, it was referring to David Duke. Like, I'm a former Klan's member, and I want to be president. And even white people were like, "No." Yeah, he was based oh. off the the guy. What was his name? David um, Duke. David Duke. Yeah, right, right, right. He was based off him. Okay, so this is this connection I have to the story. Okay, so we know if anybody has seen this, you know it's about these dolls, right? Mm-hmm. These dolls in this former plantation, a lot of slaves were lynched and an old woman put their souls into dolls so that they could hopefully rest so the 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 old woman that was in a painting Mm -hmm. that eventually you see in real in real life at the end of the story my mother when she was alive she was very she loved collecting dolls so dolls never scared me as a kid like chucky none of that scared me as a kid because i grew up with just having like porcelain dolls all around my house like it was just it was normal to me scared the shit out of my friends when they came over but <laughs> but i dug it i was a creepy fucking kid um but my mother had the the old woman doll believe it or not what, what, wait, wait, what? The, the, mother, the woman in the rocking chair. The woman in the rocking chair. My mother had that. And we the used to cow? have it. Yeah, we had oh. in the house. I was growing up as a kid. In the living room, we had like this glass table. Oh. And so my mother had this very big giant porcelain doll that my dad bought for her down in AC. Um, that was worth a lot of money. So she displayed it. And then she had the woman in the rocking chair right on that glass. And it always scared the shit out of my friends. And I used to love fucking with people with it. Like I used to like pick it up and I would like take a hand. I would go like this. Oh, no. <laughs> and then one one time I had an ex-girlfriend. I think that's why she probably broke up with me when I was in high school. She fell asleep 
on my couch and that movie freaked her out. So I took that doll and I laid it right next to her and she woke up and I remember being in the kitchen upstairs cause I had moved downstairs to the basement and I just heard this loud scream and I was like, yeah. <laughs> when? <laughs> I think I'd have been like 15 at the time, but. <laughs> But yeah, but that's the connection that I have with that film. And that particular story is that I have one of the dolls. When's the last time you saw the doll? I haven't seen any years because my dad moved to Texas and he took the doll with him. So it's in his house down in Texas. <laughs> wow. That's... But I wish I had it. <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one of the aspects of that story that I feel resonates today is you, you've got the spin guy trying to help Corbin Burnson's racist mm -hmm. ass character, Rhodey, played by Roger, I'm going to fuck up his middle name, Jim Vier Smith, who's clearly selling out for the money, doing something mm -hmm. that in the long term goes against not only his best interests, but society's mm -hmm. best interests. But he's getting paid 10 grand a week for it. And I think we can look at it very much in the current administration is people that spoke out publicly against this bunker bitch in 2015 got on the payroll and like you know what now i'm just going to defend them and i'm going to do a horrible job at it because mm -hmm. I, I oh fuck what was that guy um paul mooney said in a in a wonderful statement the truth defends itself you don't have to work hard to mm -hmm. defend the truth and that's why you know everybody's name in this administration because they're working real hard to keep their job and they're not doing a good job at it. no they're not yeah it, it's it's just weird bro like how this movie is just i i recommend anybody watch this movie now and you're gonna you're gonna see how still the, how relevant this film still is if you haven't you should have you should have and can i just point out that Cor uh, corbin Bur uh, Bur i'm like bridging his last name person mm -hmm. was so racist in that film that it was actually fucking hilarious like it was that funny like that he was that racist like he would he was saying shit that even to this day i'm like laughing like he was just like i'm going to shoot off your little nigga balls i was like you little nigga i was like to be yelling at a doll like that yeah it's it's stupid and you can't help but laugh sometimes and when you come across uh, I don't know if there's really such a thing as harmless racism, but something that's so ridiculous, you're just like... Mm. Yeah. I would almost call it... It's like an extreme racism where it's even dolls or it's even inanimate objects that fuel your hatred. Like, but, you know, no, but, so but, he, but he was so racist in that film. It was like... So racist, yeah. Like, to the point, the, the stuff that he was saying, I was like, okay, either he's really trying to prove that he's a good actor, or he has said this shit a lot. Oh my god, yeah. Because <laughs> that, them N-words... It, it transcends. The N-words are rolling heard, off that tongue. I've heard that there's, like, certain actors that people say... If they say the N-word, like, often in film, like, I mean, Django Unchained is a perfect example of that. There's some actors where I've heard, 
audience uh, or people tweet like, I can tell they've said this before. <laughs> like, I yeah. can tell that they have done this. <laughs> oh, not, not to defend Corbin Burson, because I don't know the man, but what I think happened with him is he was primarily known as a TV actor. So now being in the movies, he probably looked at it like, this is my chance to be a bigger star. So I'm just going to go all out for it. Because it wasn't, there, there was more of a divide between like the stage, TV, and movies. And not a lot of actors went in between the two. You were kind of like stuck in your thing. Kind of, again, to bring up Tarantino. Well, I love how like, like I'm looking. Once look upon a time in Hollywood, like you're stuck here. And, and like, all right, if you can make it into movies, maybe there'll be more of them. Well, I like here's the thing. One, I was gonna say I love how like you explain that and I'm looking at Chelsea's face and Chelsea has this face, facial expression like Rick, it's twenty twenty. Don't defend another white this. No. The men were rolling off that tongue quite well. Yeah, that's what I've heard is that you can just tell. You're like, oh. Listen, Quentin Tarantino. Hey, listen. Tarantino loves saying the N word. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he's, march, he's not marching for Black Lives Matter. He's marching so he can say it. Um, <laughs> for all I know, both Chelsea and I are right. He could be very racist and was trying to get into more movies. Like, Quentin Tarantino looks, I mean, I love Quentin Tarantino, but he looks at us as a fetish. But that's another this topic for another day. But. <laughs> The thing is, he was just saying things like, this, come on, Nicholas, that was improv. Like, he improvised it. That was not in the script. You can't tell me Nicholas and shooting up your nigga balls was in that script. It wasn't. He improvised. <laughs> that was, was ad If it was in the script, I'd hope he'd be like, do I have to? <laughs> like, can it be something like, else? When, listen, when Leonardo DiCaprio was filming Django, yeah. Every in between takes, he kept apologizing to Jamie Foxx and yeah. Kerry Washington so many times that they had they told him stop. We get it. Yeah, like you know what I mean. But like your white guilt between every take is probably what it was. Yeah, right. They knew what they signed on to. Yeah. Um. But it, it like nah. The the N word was just rolling off the tongue. But I remember being in the theater watching that. And the scene where at the end where he's like walking slowly and you see the painting and no doll, not even a woman is in the painting. You can hear everybody in the crowd go up, oh shit. And then like he turns around, you see the dolls, everybody like, oh fuck. And that's what I miss about good horror films is like those moments in the theaters. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, you're like, oh shit. And there was so many moments like that in that film. Like, uh-oh. You got a bunch and of dolls going full Matt Turner about to eat his face. Yeah, I didn't get that because I was just kind of like, why would you right. do that? Your pork is bad for you, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the thing in, in watching it... Holding on to that one. Hold on. That was pretty great. Did that just come to you? <laughs> that, that listen, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but it did come to me just that now. Was I was not... <laughs> I was not... I, I was that that was shout out to the improv community because that came <laughs> right off the top of the goddamn dome. I like I, like, I kind of wish you know what I kind of wish I could do a comedy sketch and like redo that scene and then like you get a bunch of like as they eat in this white dude you get a bunch of like Muslim dolls come in they like hey my brother why y'all eating this white man you know when you spell white man backwards you get pork. <laughs> 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 
And you guys are eating that pork, brothers. That's the problem with the white man wants you to do, eat his nasty swine. And what you should have did with <laughs> that would be so I love the look of serenity on the old lady's face in the rocking chair as the dolls are eating Corbin Berenson. Just just a it's a calmness to it to fade back to the funeral home and and the last story of this movie where crazy. Can, can, can we take a moment to like talk about before we get to the last story, talk about how the like the reaction to the three gangbangers mm-hmm. to um, he's like done with the story. Is this genius? Like I, when going back to the second story before they started, he opens up the casket and before you know what it looks like. They're like, what type of shit? What the fuck happened to him? <laughs> yeah. oh my God. I wasn't even thinking about that. But... And, and again, just really like, we need to get the shit. <laughs> ah, the shit. Okay, we'll, we'll get to the shit. But before we get to the shit, <laughs> off they go to find out about Crazy K. Oh, yes, Crazy K. That was and that uh, unusual Jacob's Ladder scenario segment. Uh, yeah, it was like Jacob's Ladder meets um, Clockworth Orange. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Of, I guess trying to make commentary about uh, the gang culture at that time. You know, which if you want to go back further, I'm like, eh, maybe if uh, the, the, the U.S. government didn't flood crack into black neighborhoods, it wouldn't be a problem. But, you know, every time I watch, every, but every time right. I watch that, that, that particular story, I go, wow, that's when like gangsters used to wear colors. Look at, <laughs> look at the 90s. Uh, uh, that, I felt that way with seeing Rusty Cundiff's vest in the second story. I'm like, that's the 90s right there. But yeah, having that that imagery with the with the strobe lights and the the rap music and photos of lynching, getting it there in your face. They don't teach that to you in schools. No, I forget no. who it might have been uh, W. Kamau Bell or somebody said you know that like you know Black history in schools these days. You have slavery bad, civil rights good, and that's it. You get yeah, nothing else, and then you have to learn for on your own the rest of the shit. Listen, I always say the black experience that's in the history books is very much like the story of Jesus. It's like Jesus was born, then Jesus, Jesus died. Another black man. <laughs> yeah, and Jesus died. It's like black people, slavery, civil rights. That's it. What? Like, Jesus was born. Suddenly he's thirty three, and then he got killed by the police. Yeah, it's like what? Are you, what are you? Do you think they black people existed right before slavery? Like, hey, we're here now. Like, no. Is it, <laughs> yeah, that, that really is. I mean, thinking back, um, even in my experience, when it came to how my history and social studies classes were, it was yeah. a little bit different only because I grew up in Alabama and they couldn't mm-hmm. ignore the church bombing. Um, that right. Yeah. Like that, you the just girls. ignore that in Alabama. Yeah, the little girls that uh, were murdered. And... Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, but it was essentially like a little roadblock when it came to talking about civil rights. It was like, and then this awful thing happened, but then yeah. this great thing happened. And that's the only thing that I think was slightly different, at least with just being from Alabama. That was just something they knew they couldn't ignore. But at the same time, that's not to give them credit because saying they knew they couldn't ignore it, they 
didn't blame anybody. They, they just said, oh, this terrible thing happened. That was your history lesson, was that this terrible thing happened. So right. it's interesting to see that even now. I've been thinking about it just for years, about how, like, for years I couldn't even tell you who did it or, like, who they thought did it because they wouldn't even explain that. They would just say, mm -hmm. oh, it was bombed. There was a lot of civil unrest going on. And yeah. that just gloss it. over it. <laughs> yeah, gloss over it completely. And it was like four or five little girls that, you know, were killed. So that was just something I was thinking about when y'all brought up uh, the history books and stuff. Well, it's funny in, in that, you know, in this particular sequence in the film, I love the, my favorite scene is the sensory deprivation scene. Mm. Although, I even found that, even though that scene is sad because the, the scene of the little girl and everything, but that scene was also funny because if you really, next time you watch that film, when it gets to the part when you see all the people he's murdered, I was like, okay, one, this guy's not even a killer. This guy's a fucking psycho. Okay, that's a lot of fucking people he killed. Like, Jesus, either he is a psycho or he really has terrible aim to the that point that shit he, was really <laughs> fucking wrong man that shit was really wrong g like what are you like a stormtrooper like dude and then like and then like if you it but at the same time what made it funny was that it was very exaggerated because watch it next time and pause it the carnage that you see it was so exaggerated like there was one guy in the back he doesn't have a face like his whole face is blown off. I'm like, what did he? Did he shoot you with a cannon? Like what the it's, hell? It's, Your whole face It's hard to watch. I I really hope to one day see this in the theater because that strobe light is very distracting to begin with. So I would never catch the shit going on in the background. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, you have to really watch that movie again to catch, yeah. like, so many, like, hidden stuff. Because I remember when I was watching it in the theaters as a kid, like, I didn't get the... I, like, if you watch it now, you can kind of see the twist coming connected to that story, to the wraparound story. Mm -hmm. But watching it in the theater, you actually do get surprised. You really don't see it coming. Because you're so, it's like the strobe lights and everything is so distracting. But like you, you kind of have like an inkling of like, okay, yeah, maybe they're involved somehow, but you don't really know that they were the killers. But until you see it like on TV or something, but um, it is very distracting. And if, like I said, if you pause it, you see like this, there's people with limbs blown off. I'm like, what, like, was he, what kind of weapons did this guy, like, did he have like the men in black noisy cricket thing? Like, this yeah. dude was like, it's like Jesus. I was like, this guy's a psycho. I was like, why try to save him? And I always thought, like, because it never really explains what he would like, what kind of redem like redemption he was going through. My theory was that that was God trying to give him a second chance, and the the woman was God. I forget actress's name. Like she was God and she was trying to show him like, yo, I'm going to give you a second chance of redemption. And he didn't want it. So she was like, all right, well, I'm going to take you back to the point in the timeline where you're going to fucking die. And, and that's what happened. But that's Rosalind just... Cash playing Dr. Cushing. Rosalind Cash. And I, that's kind of like my theory on it. It's a good one. It's a good point. I, it, that, that last minute redemption of admit you're wrong and maybe you can go to a better place. And he's like, no, fuck you. Well, that's almost what's like happening. A lot of rage in that. Yeah, that's almost what's happening today. You see all these people that are getting, you know, canceled for 
things they've done in their past, like racist videos that they've done or, you know, really sexist things. And I'm not necessarily talking about like the comedians like Louis C.K. or Chris, I'm not going to learn his fucking last name, but the predator guy that's been in the, right. the comedian um, that Whitney Cummings was close to. But oh, yeah, I, I forgot his Chris, last name. Yeah, Chris Delia? Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm not Delia. talking about them specifically. I'm talking about more like YouTubers and people that have done these racist videos. And there's a lot of people that want apologies and them to be held accountable. And it is almost like a you know, if they do apologize, if they do hold themselves accountable, if they do like maybe donate the pros, like the royalties from that or the ad money that they got from those videos to Black Lives Matter or Justice for Elijah or something, then, then you can be saved, like in a way, like it's just when we were talking, when you mentioned, when you mentioned that, Greg, it just made me think of what's happening now with cancel culture, where it's almost mm -hmm. like, some people are not necessarily going to cancel you. They just want you to fix this. Don't ignore it. Don't mm -hmm. like, don't try to take it away from your streaming service. Looking at you, Tina Fey and the 30 Rock uh, group um, with their whole blackface situation. But like, just hold yourselves accountable. Don't ignore it. Just maybe you will redeem yourself. Not everyone has to forgive you. Um, it, it definitely, um, black people do not have to forgive you for doing blackface. <laughs> like you can say you're sorry, but you can't <laughs> expect to be forgiven. So it is almost I, just that redeeming factor. Here's, here's, here's the thing about that, right? Mm -hmm. With the whole cancel culture and it being pertained to, uh, especially now what's going on and everything, uh, in blackface, I wouldn't say this. Um, if because I actually was on another comedian's podcast, we kind of talked about the whole Jimmy Kimball thing, and uh, I said, and I said, if he's apologetic about it, then cool, I'm I'm fine with it. Because here's the thing, because we can't. This is the thing I don't like about cancel culture. When you can't pick and choose what you want to fight for, exactly. So we're going to talk about. We can't say well. We're gonna cancel Jimmy Kimmel because he did blackface. We're gonna cancel Jimmy Fallon because he did blackface. We're gonna cancel Tina Fey because there was blackface on 30 Rock. But hey, Robert Downey Jr. is okay because he was fucking hilarious. And yeah. <laughs> it was nah. ironic in Tropic Thunder. Like, nah. Like, keep that, like nah, that. keep yeah. the same energy. Keep the same energy. Yeah. That's why I was just like, that's why I was like, if, he, if, if he's apologetic, okay, fine. Because then I'll be hypocrite because I honestly thought that Robert Downey Jr. was fucking hilarious in Tropic Thunder. Much as I didn't want to laugh, it was fucking hilarious. Mm -hmm. But you can't pick and choose. You got you gotta keep that you gotta keep that same energy. So you exactly. can't just pick and choose, you know, who you want to cancel, who you don't want to cancel, and now this person has to go on a fucking apology tour. Like yeah, they really do. Like, it's like, well, go set up the apology tour. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, we've all probably done or said something years ago. You know, at half the time, people, a lot of these people probably forgot. I'll be hurtful. Yeah, I'm not trying to play devil's advocate, but they probably forgot. Yeah, true. yeah. it was a mindless thing for them. Right. Yeah, especially oh. like, I mean, you know, us being in this, in this game and being in this business that our memories are kind of, a little distorted because we you do so much stuff that a lot of times the entertainer's memory and when you if you guarantee if you talk to anybody that's I don't care if they're a comedian an actor dancer whatever 
if you talk to them about something in the past, you're going to get like three different stories because it's going to mm-hmm. be kind of sketchy in their brain. Mm-hmm. So, they've done so much shit up to that time. Um, I've heard Penn Gillette mention on his podcast that you can talk to him and tell her <laughs> about something and each one of them will have different stories about that event, but neither one are deliberately lying. It's just a thing that happens. My opinion on, on cancel culture, uh, and if I'm wrong, I will apologize. I don't think you need to erase things. I don't think you need to lock stuff away, remove it from streaming or whatever. Uh, you definitely should apologize, but it needs to be out there so that folks can remember. Now that's completely different from Confederate Confederate statues. Take those down, let the birds shit elsewhere. Because that had nothing to do with the war. That was basically uh, post reconstruction, a big taxpayer symbol to say, we don't want you. My my only issue with erasing, it really depends on what it is. Like Mm -hmm. with Tina Fey and the 30 Rock episodes, I agreed with um, some uh, some black writers that I follow that said instead of that, I would have rather they had a disclaimer before yeah. each episode, and then whatever money, what royalties come from that episode, donate it to NAACP or something that you know that money can go towards. Instead, Tina Fey is trying to, and, and not specific. I don't mean to like just only call out Tina Fey, but. Um, mm-hmm. She's the one who did request for them to be removed, but for Tina Fey instead to just kind of gloss over it, then that's, that's different. But when it comes to like, there's a specific YouTuber who recently took down all of his sketches from when he was younger and doing blackface, he removed them. I a hundred percent agree with that because he had a younger audience and younger generations and they normalized it, that younger audience that is now like my age. Um, that I don't, that younger generations do not need to see it and think it's funny. So I think it just depends on what it is. It's, it's definitely a case by case thing. And then also if it's going to cause harm, right? which I mean, it's always going to cause harm. That's, I think, I think in some cases, the cringe factor might be a better teacher than just not having it there. Cause uh, I'm a fan of Abbott and Costello films and I'll watch some of those. And every once in a while there'll be a scene. I just go, Oh, that no. No. Well, that's like um, Little Rascals when I was oh, a yeah. kid. Like when I was a kid, like they yeah. used to play like Little Rascals, like like on like Channel Eleven, something like early Definitely, in the morning yeah. or something like that. And I was a kid, I would watch it. And like even still, like <laughs> there was a scene I never forget where it's uh, Buckwheat and Spanky are sitting on the curb, and Spanky's looking sad because his mother wants him to wash his face. And he looks at Buckby. He goes, you know, you're lucky. You don't have to wash your face. <laughs> I was like. Oh, my God. Yeah. Why does that? That makes me think of, like, today's version of, like, can I touch your hair? Like, that just sounds yeah. like that type of situation that I'm, uh, I just, oh, no. And, 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 and the cringe factor, it, it, it helps. Uh, like, in, to a much lesser extent, the. I went to DC years ago to the International Spy Museum and they have a little movie theater where they show like newsreels and things like that. that. Mm -hmm. And I went into one and there's a fucking Disney cartoon where Donald 
duck is like marching into this fucking rockets and bombs and shit and like Nazi planes getting shot down. I'm like, oh, this is for children. And sometimes that that cringe. And again, maybe it's Catholic school. Maybe it's being raised by a Latin dad that sometimes discomfort is a better teacher just for me personally. You didn't know yeah, that Donald well, Duck took down the Nazi party? I thought I'm that sorry? You didn't know that Donald Duck took down the Nazi party? I didn't see that movie because Tom Cruise played him different. <laughs> and, 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 and Brad Pitt in Inglorious Bastards. He didn't have a duck's bill or webbed feet that I saw. <laughs> Sorry, Boy, Greg. Lamy. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, um, yeah, that well, also, too, back then they were probably like, Well, if kids can go to work at the age of like nine, they should be able to watch this. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> they got to grow up sometime. Fucking kids back then had full time jobs at the age of 10. <laughs> <laughs> they had to pull their weight. Whole families. <laughs> whole family had to pull their weight back then. You know? Bringing it back to this tangent as we get to the end of Tales from the Hood. We've heard all our stories. We're still in the Sims funeral home. Mr. Sims is about to give the guys the shit. And they find themselves in coffins. And they realize that while they took out Crazy K, Crazy K's boys showed up and took them showed out. Showed up and took them out. Well, you know what's so crazy about this scene? They known that this dude was crazy because if you notice when they're going into the basement he's turning on light bulbs with his finger he's just going like this he's just touching the bulbs and they're coming on like that was an indication <laughs> some shit wasn't right shit. Hmm? and can we also point out when he the, the whole you know the big reveal when you see the tongue that the tongue like that movie mm-hmm. was so well made but you can tell that they ran out of budget. But by the time they got to that scene, because it was like a cartoon snake tongue. Oh, yeah, coming through the gap in his teeth. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, oh, yeah. For me. <laughs> Hell, yeah, we ran out of budget right there. We had to draw that in. Welcome to hell, motherfuckers. And, and everything just flames out. They're dead, they're in hell, and it's like, that's a perfect anthology. Yeah, the way it ended was perfect. I mean, they were literally burning in hell. Like, if you watch it, they're, like, doing all this and shit. Mm-hmm. They're, like, shaking in the flames. They're, like, literally burning in hell. Like, the ending of that was crazy. Because usually in those wraparound anthology stories, there's a protagonist. Mm-hmm. There was no protagonist in this uh, situation, which was interesting. Yeah, because like even if you re- if you ever seen I don't know um, you obviously you guys are hard film so you've seen Tales from the Dark Side the movie mm-hmm. and if you remember that wraparound story the antagonist who was played by um, what's your face from Blondie um, why am I blanking on her name right now I smoke too much weed anyway Debbie uh, yes Debbie Harris you know she gets her come up and from the from you know Matthew Lawrence. Um, but in this situation, there was no situation like that. The, you know, there was no protagonist. And I thought yeah. that was just great. You know, not every horror film has to have a happy ending. Yeah. And I thought it was, again, like just talking about how much of a sobering fact it is that this movie is still 100% relevant today. Um, for it to not have like some type of bubblegum or wrapped up 
ending, I think is just so crucial to this anthology um, for it to be as timeless as, as it continues to be. And, yeah. I mean, and it continues to be timeless for very, mm. very awful, tragic reasons. So I don't want to make it sound like, oh, it's a timeless film that will always resonate. Like, that's, that's not what I'm saying, but it right. is. We, 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 we get it. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's something that hopefully in much better circumstances, the best artwork is timely and it's timeless. Yeah. And just in this case, unfortunately, it's like, no, it's fucking time. It's fucking time it's for time. us to change yeah. some yeah. shit and, and have some more we to fix life. I would love for this movie to be like taught in universities as like a study. I think it totally should. I think that's part of the, the thing in horror noir that that was kind of a curriculum. Well, there, oh, yeah, there is like a, there are some universities that do have a black cinema and black horror case, but I mean, but I would take it further where it should be in like, I took film classes in college. This should have been in it. This a hundred percent. I should have been watching this instead of watching the American Beauty. I should have been watching this instead of like this. These are films that they're actually, they're, they're art, but they're at the same time, they're saying something. It's not just there to look pretty and it's uncomfortable, especially for white people to watch and be entertained by. Like in, in a way, like I think it is one of those movies where it, as you're entertained, you have to fucking think about why you're being entertained at the same time. So those are those are movies that need to be in film classes for sure. Right, because it's, it's like without this film, you, I don't think we would have gotten Get Out or Us, you know. Yeah, and, I agree with that. Yeah, and, and, these, and then the upcoming uh, Candyman movie, which if you watch the trailer, you know, the, the social commentary underneath that I'm gathering from is yeah. gentrification. Same. That's what I got from the trailer and, as well. I'm very excited about it. Me too, me too. And oh. it, 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 it's gentrification, so... Yeah. I'm one of those weirdos that when I know I'm going to see a movie, I don't want to watch the trailer. I want to go in as cold as possible. And uh, I think that's one of the... Anything Jordan Peele's involved in, it's like, just give me a release date and a title and I'll show up. But that's just me. Well, I have to watch the teaser trailer, but the full trailer, I try to stay away from. But sometimes they get spoiler heavy now. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. give they give out way too much on the full trailer. Teaser trailer, I need a little something to know what I'm getting myself into, but the full trailer, I kind of stay away from. Fair, fair. But I, but I want to bring. Can I just bring up of one course. other horror film? Yes, you. I don't know if you've ever seen this film. This is one of my favorite horror films, and the reason why is because, to my knowledge, now I could be wrong. But to my knowledge, this might have been the first horror film that a black guy lives. And that film is called Night of the Demons. It came out in 1988, I believe. And I don't know if you've ever seen this film. No. I have not. I need to watch it. <gasps> oh, it's, I'm it, it, so upset I haven't watched it. it, it it's right okay. It's okay. Be careful. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what we're going to do, Greg. I'll tell you what we're going to do. Chelsea and I, we're going to find a way to watch it. Uh -huh. We'll have you come back and we'll talk about it. I know, yes. I know Ken Forey lived in Dawn of the Dead, which got to predate it because that was late 70s. Okay, so he did. Okay, we'll, okay, okay. We'll watch it. We'll but here's the thing. It. It's yeah. the way that he lived because um, 
it has a bit of a cult following because be careful because there's two versions okay because they redid it they it was, it's a remake out there yeah but, I see uh, there's a remake yeah with, with Eric Furlong now that actually wasn't a bad film but it was a different film than what the original was and that movie it was it was so funny because the character was a black guy he lived because he did everything that black people we would do to survive uh, that's why he lived oh, you're talking about crime you're talking oh it's includable crime you're talking about yeah. the 1998 version 88 1988 88. version uh with starring Kathy Podwell, directed by Kevin Tenney. So yeah, we're gonna watch this movie. Cause I, I remember it, the video store I worked at had the sequel, Night of the Demons 2. And I yes. don't, I think maybe the reason why I never saw this movie is cause we didn't have the first one. And <laughs> I'm a completist. So well, that's yeah, because probably I why. Think, yeah, cause during that time, I think the first one was like really hard to find. It was like rare. It was like a, one of those like horror, brass rings type situation like it was like a horror golden ticket like it was kind of like how if you went back in the day if you went to a video store you can always find evil dead 2 and army of darkness but you can never find the original evil dead it was kind of like it was kind of like that <laughs> and and that the way the character's name was roger and right he, i'm looking it's he's roger oh I'm sorry. yeah right he's a little bit coonish in the beginning of the film, he's like, they're, they're trying to do the seance at this Halloween party. Oh, of course. And, he, and he's like, and he's like, my daddy was a preacher. And he told me not to do this. So I'm going to leave. <laughs> I'm so excited to watch his journey. That, <laughs> like, that, that, that does remind me of the older gentleman in the, in the David Duke story in Tales from the Hood with his hat. Like, it's the dolls. And he's like, very like worked up. And it's like, uh, they want reparations. Yeah, Ruben. <laughs> yeah, which you know, I I get, but it's like you you've got it tuned up to eleven. Like you could you could be at a six and like oh no, like no, they no, want they, reparations. They gonna, what they gonna get his ass? It's like reparations. What do you want me to do? Cut these little dolls a goddamn check? Like Jesus. Yeah. I know. What are they gonna spend this on? <laughs> like, yeah. Maybe one of them got an account they can cash it and spend like, Maybe go buy some Jordans. Leave me, leave me in my house alone. Shit. I don't know what creepy ass dolls do. You know that better than I do, Greg. Yeah, you do. You are the experts. I, I am the expert. <laughs> All right, Greg. Where where can people find you if they want to check out your comedic stylings? Um, well, you can follow me on Twitter at Gregory Hall 5000. You can also follow me on Instagram um, at Comedian Gregory Hall. Um, right now, my website is under construction and my website is uh, www.comediangregoryhall.com. Um, and also my production company website is under construction, which is uh, Blackmagic uh, ENT. Uh, so both of those websites will be done very soon. But until those websites are done, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter to get all my updates and, and what I'm doing and everything. Um, and, uh, you know, if I have any outside backdoor, backyard shows coming up, I definitely post them there. Nice. As well you should, because I know you posted some things about missing the stage. And luckily, we live in a time where we can just put some shit out there just i'm chelsea and i can't perform right now i'm, I'm grateful that we came up with this like this allows the creative juices to keep flowing because you know 
when when the day comes when we can get in front of an audience again and do stuff, I'm hugging everybody. <laughs> uh, unless it's not safe to do that, then I won't do it. Yeah, I don't think but you're going to be I'm able to hug people for like two years, my dude. I'm a good hugger. Damn. <laughs> That's okay. You better, That's you better okay. start learning to give high fives with your foot. <laughs> I know. You got you to gotta learn other things. I do it with my mind. <laughs> be like, feel my hug. <laughs> Chelsea, where can people find you? Uh, Twitter and Instagram, Chelsea Bennington. I, I do not have cool websites like dear Gregory here does, but you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Cool. You can check out Spooky Doings on Instagram for information about the podcast. Spooky Doings Improv on Facebook right now is just fun memes and podcast info. And one day we'll be doing shows again and Greg's going to come out and he's going to wear a gold hockey mask. Pull it off like Jason Voorhees and wow the crowd. Because that's happened before. Yeah, Greg, that's I it. think that was my first time I met you too. And yes. That was yeah. I was like, who the fuck just got on stage? I really wasn't going to do that when Rick was like, you got to go on I'm stage. Like, you got, no, you brought it. You brought you it. You got to do it. I was Absolutely. like, okay. Because I, cause you I, took, got, the ma- I uh, got the mask that day because I went to Comic-Con that weekend. And uh, I was looking for a Jason replica mask because anybody knows me, Jason Voorhees is my favorite slasher of all time. And I found this um, when I was on the floor, the main floor, I found this booth that was selling them and it had a gold one. And I'm like, I, you know, gold, I got to cop this one. And I bought it. And I just came from the Javits Center to you guys at Triple Crown. And Rick was like, you bought it. You got to wear it. I was like, I, I'll wear it. <laughs> But don't tell me like I was thinking about do- no not do do yeah. it must be done. Don't think do. <laughs> and it was very cool because like you like I love you even got to say it's like I love gold. I mean I the one problem I had is like you took it off too quickly. You could have milked it just. No, I'm glad he took it off because I was like we're getting killed finally. I'm like I'm like, <laughs> like, like listen I'm I'm in a white I'm in a room full of white people with a ma- I'm black with a mask I'm taking this shit off a million white people nervous. I, I realize my privilege is that along see, with the see, protective... See, you let that privilege, see, you let that privilege the, get to you. Along <laughs> with the protective mask, I bought a shit ton of Halloween masks and I wear them to the white supermarket to make people feel weird, especially if like they got their nose hanging out of their mask. I was wearing a Michael Myers one and a guy comes up to me and he's like, that's really funny. And his nose is out. And I just really funny. That, <laughs> I just give him the head tilt and I circle my own nose with my finger and oh my I God. tilt the other way and I don't say anything but I don't think you're, you possess enough interest your privilege for a good cause it's fine to, to make white folk feel weird yeah, exactly I can't you trying you trying to get me in trouble it's like if I saw you I'll a trench coat on as a white dude I'm getting nervous I'm like yeah. you got a trench coat on so shit about to pop off you know these motherfuckers like shooting shit up they get the fuck out of here <laughs> For someone that doesn't know me, that makes perfect sense. But you know me, I'm down here talking about hugging people with my mind, because that's, I'm a big fucking mush. Don't tell nobody. Anyway, <laughs> thank you for being a part of this thank you, with Thank us, you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank We're going to watch Night of the Demons. We're going to schedule a time for you to come back and take us to school. That could be our first double tutorial episode. That would be dope. That would be dope. Yeah.
I'm so excited. Uh, I'm going to watch it and take notes. I'm excited to watch little Roger's journey. Like, please watch that. I mean, just (laughs) the stuff he does in that film is just genius. Well, even (laughs) just like IMDb had, of course, like a a few like film stills. And it was like, what is happening? This looks, I I was trying so hard not to get distracted. It's a it's a good all around like eighties horror film. It really is. Right. Oh, we'll get to it. All right. Until thank then. You so much. Thank, thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. Of course. It's our pleasure. And to our listeners, stay good, stay healthy, stay spooky. Until next time. Good night.